My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. I am a Torontonian. I know by now that the rest of this country enjoys and even delights in making fun of us. Here's the thing. Sometimes they are absolutely right. The city seems to have really stepped in it. They posted controversial signs here warning dog owners that excessive barking will not be tolerated. Yep, that's us. Here in Toronto, you might be wondering how we found ourselves in this situation, banning dogs from barking in a park specifically built for dogs. Well, the truth is, we end up in these situations all the time. It's just kind of what we do here when it comes to our parks. It's not just barking dogs, it's recreational baseball players or beer drinkers, people who might have to pee or maybe need a drink of water, and on a more serious note, people who have nowhere else to go. Today, we'll take you on a trip through Toronto's public parks. Please, I warn you, respect every sign you see, even if it contradicts a different sign that you've already seen even if it is as big as a highway billboard. Unless that sign is telling you to do something like enjoy a beer in the park. In that case, the city of Toronto would like to make clear that the sign, which they made and placed there and tells you that you can drink here, is not encouraging you to drink in any way. Got it? Yeah. Sometimes we deserve the jokes. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Ben Spur is a reporter with the Toronto Star's City Hall Bureau, where uh, you must hear an awful lot about parks, Ben. Uh, Yeah, it comes up surprisingly often at City Hall, actually, maybe more often than you might think. Well, for people outside of Toronto who might not understand why we're spending a Friday episode talking about mm, parks and bylaws and, and municipal stuff in the city of Toronto, can you maybe just try to find like a word or two for how you describe the city's approach to parks and communication? Uh, I would say it has been frustrating. <laughs> that, that is, I think, maybe the word that... Um might come to mind for a lot of uh, Torontonians, the, the messaging and the, the kind of handling of uh, public parks by the city has just drawn a lot of confusion and, and sometimes anger really at, uh, at what seems to be kind of bureaucratic rules around um, what can and can't happen in parks. I want to start with a great example because uh, this is a long-running story that I guess just kind of wrapped up uh, last week. 
Can you tell us, please, about the uh, no homers rule? Yeah, so there's a park uh, in the the kind of downtown west end of, of Toronto called the, the McGregor Playground, which is actually not too far from uh, my home. In this part of the city that used to be mostly industrial, but there's lots of kind of condos uh, going up around there now and mid-rises. And um, a couple of years ago, it looks like, the city put up a sign in a ballpark that's right next to one of these new mid-rises that lists a whole bunch of rules about basically trying to limit balls flying out of the park and, and hitting the condo next door. And one of those rules is is no no home runs allowed. Uh, so that went up a couple of years ago, and it's one of those things that uh, maybe people didn't notice too much or the people who, who were playing in the park every day saw and maybe disregarded or whatever. But uh, just recently, someone who I think had uh, just started playing there on a, on a local rec league team, you know, tweeted or posted a photo of, uh, of the sign and it uh, quickly went viral and just kind of had a lot of people asking, <laughs> why is the city trying to ban uh, home runs in a, in a ballpark? And actually, our producer, Joe, plays baseball in that park Mm -hmm. and says they will get on you um, if you're not following the rules and, and municipal bylaw officers will be called. So that that's an interesting note. Like I, I talked to some of the the rec league organizers there, and, and I talked to some of the condo uh, dwellers there, who, who told me that that things weren't exactly. It wasn't a, a sort of running battle between the two groups, and and the the softball organizers who play there said that um, they'd kind of come to a truce with the neighbors. But, oh, that's uh, good. I love the image of uh, a bylaw officer sitting in uh, left field, there <laughs> just waiting for balls to go over and give someone a ticket. I don't know if that's ever actually happened but uh, it certainly paints a picture. And this would be one thing if it was a one-off thing. The reason we're talking about this is because of the general communication. So I'm asking you for one more. Tell us about the dog park, please. Yeah, this was a, a park that, again, is uh, actually kind of more central um, in uh, in the city. So there had been apparently some complaints about loud dogs, I guess, in this park. In the dog park, the park for dogs. In, in the dog park, yeah. Uh, and the city uh, actually erected a sign that said uh, that there was no uh, loud barking allowed in the in the, in the the park, which again confused people just because I think even, even more confusing than the no homers sign because uh, how do you stop your dog from, from barking? I don't have a dog, but I imagine that's pretty hard, especially in a dog park. And and as with the, the, the no home run rule, um, as soon as kind of attention got called, to the, the dog barking issue, the city pretty quickly removed the sign. I think we actually sent a reporter there to, to look into this story. And um, as they were <laughs> approaching the sign, some some uh, city employees came over and uh, removed it. Uh, the same thing happened with the home run sign. I went and looked at it in the morning. And then uh, later that day, I came back and uh, the city had uh, taped over it. So <laughs> as soon as there's attention put to these kind of bizarre rules, uh, yeah. it seems like the city is willing to to backtrack and reconsider. What happens around City Hall when uh, one of these kind of stories breaks and you end up asking counselors or people about it? Like, how, how do they how do they handle it? It's it's an odd thing. I mean, no one ever really seems to know uh, where these rules uh, come from. A lot of the time, counselors often, I think, are probably as baffled as anyone else. These seems to be cooked up kind of in the you know uh, offices at City Hall by by bureaucrats and civil civil servants who clearly are trying to deal with you know competing needs in, in these parks, and they try to come up with some rules to to maybe keep everyone happy, uh, and and they just don't seem to to work out. But I think that's why these 
things are, you know, while they're silly, they're kind of interesting, right? Because I think they're they're indicative of the contested spaces that that parks are in a city like Toronto, where a lot of people, you know, live in in uh, condos and small apartments and don't have big backyards. They go to these parks to, uh, you know, to to be outside to take their dog for a run or whatever else, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and they kind of butt up against uh, other residents who who have competing demands uh, on those parks who who you know don't want noise and don't want the their apartment windows hit with baseballs and whatever. So um, I think these are the kind of conflicts that spring up in a city like Toronto that's that's growing pretty rapidly and uh, doesn't have a, a ton of, uh, you know, free green space these days. That was an amazing segue because it, it really is symbolic of a larger issue in terms of how the city manages its public spaces and and how we use them. And that brings me to an actual changing currently changing, I guess, uh, city policy that, again, some people in other cities might look at Toronto and chuckle. But earlier this summer, it finally became legal to drink in Toronto parks, right? And that was just simple. They allowed it in all parks and it was done and nobody ever heard of it again, right? <laughs> sort of, yeah. After a couple of false starts, they've tried to do this a couple of times at the city, uh, legalizing uh, drinking. Uh, didn't get through council. They they kind of uh, hummed and hawed over it. Uh, this year in July, they finally did legalize a, a pilot project. That's how we do everything here in Toronto. We right. do a pilot so that no one, you know, we can say that it's not permanent. And if it doesn't work out, if people complain, we'll cancel it. And just to be clear, people were already drinking in these parks. Uh, absolutely, yeah. People were already drinking in public parks. And so technically, all that's happened is that they, they were legalized in a, a handful of about two dozen um, parks uh, from councillors who uh, opted into the program. But there, it's strange that there was this push from people who were worried about the enforcement of the no drinking rules. There were complaints that that could be like discriminatory, that, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps bylaw officers or police would target Racial minorities, for instance, would maybe get hassled more than uh, other groups uh, who would be doing the same, you know, drinking in parks. Not in Toronto. <laughs> right. But it, it, like that's you could kind of understand, you know, enforcement, we know, is often unequal. Yeah. But also there, there doesn't seem to be any stats to, to, to back that up in the sense that there hasn't been a lot of tickets given out. I think there were, you know, only a handful every year. So right. it doesn't seem like a huge issue. But there was this push to kind of um, just to legalize things so that to avoid that that kind of problem. And once this pilot project uh, was launched, the city had a lot of guidelines around it and uh, they needed to tell people about that. So uh, how'd they do that? Yeah, they they put up signs basically in the parks that had uh, opted in to the to the program that uh, that that advertised basically that these were some of the parks that you could drink in. But then a couple of councillors wrote to the city and complained about the signs because the the signs basically said you know alcohol allowed in this park. Large billboards, yeah, like highway sized billboards. Yeah, exactly. And and that the the concern there seemed to be that uh, this would be basically advertising or encouraging people to drink in public parks. And so councillors wanted to reduce the size of the signs and, and uh, not have it look like the city was, you know, inviting everyone to come get, get drunk in this public space, I guess. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, 
my mom, and dementia. Let's not be kidding. With me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. I think if you ask people outside of Toronto what's going on in Toronto parks, they would point to larger issues like um, encampments and the way that they've been removed in recent years. Can you explain a little bit uh, about the bigger fight for these public spaces in Toronto and and what that looks like uh, at City Hall? Yeah, I mean, those those encampments, uh, which there, there's a, a lot of controversy over uh, the clearing of homeless encampments from uh, three public parks in 2021. This was, you know, a, a couple of years into the COVID crisis when shelter space was at a premium. A lot of people didn't want to use shelters because they felt that they were uh, unsafe due to the virus. Um, so we had uh, large numbers of people uh, staying in, in public parks and that caused conflict, uh, you know, with with local residents who complained about it. Uh, there were concerns, you know, I think to varying degrees of truthfulness, I guess, about the danger posed by those people to, to, to local residents. And so we had this kind of long running debate over what to do. The, the people who kind of stood up for the, the people living in those encampments said, you know, there's nowhere to live in Toronto. The, if there's a housing crisis, uh, you can't just force these people out. They're, they're not going to go somewhere safer. They're just going to mm-hmm. you know, go and more hidden uh, away from services that they need, for instance. And so um, it's unfair to, to basically evict them. But um, there was a lot of pressure from people who live near the parks to, to clear them out. So there was a some pretty ugly scenes. I think it's it's fair to say when city staff backed by police moved in and, and removed people from those downtown parks, they did turn violent. And, and uh, later on, the uh, city ombudsman uh, looked into the issue and, and uh, said that, uh, that the process for removing those uh, people from the park had raised some fairness concerns. Um, so yeah, there there were pretty difficult uh, scenes there, and uh, we haven't seen a, a, a lot of reoccurrence of, of those encampments lately. In, in fact, um, and I, I don't know if that's just because the city is being more proactive about deterring people from setting up um, in those uh, visible public spaces. But certainly, that was a real flashpoint for about the use of uh, public parks uh, a couple of years ago. Toronto recently had a mayoral election. It has a new mayor in Olivia Chow. How might that change the city's approach to public space and how it's used? And what, if anything, has uh, the new mayor said about that? So to be fair, I think the 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 idea of parks alone was not a, a major election issue uh, in, in June when the mayor ran. Right. However, there was this idea that kind of started to percolate near the end of, of the former mayor, John Tory's term, about services in public parks. There was just this issue of, of uh, water fountains and, and public washrooms not being open during the warm summer months. It would take uh, weeks for, for city staff to go around to all the parks and, and activate the washrooms and the, and the drinking fountains. And, uh, you know, with the weather heating up and, and during COVID, a lot of people spending a lot of time outside. There was mounting frustration over that. And it seems like a small issue and maybe people outside of Toronto might not understand why that kind of became a controversy, but just seem to speak to, um, I think, wider concerns that Torontonians have about the state of the city and the and the quality of public services that they pay for. You know, Toronto's a really expensive city to live in. You would hope that just kind of the basic things that you pay your taxes toward, the city could do competently. And I think there was a growing frustration that park services served as a symbol for. During the election campaign, the eventual winner, Olivia Chow, she had an editorial 
editorial board uh, interview at the Toronto Star and actually talked about how she th- felt that um, there was a kind of broken conduit that was the term she used between um, city staff and the public. She seemed to be saying that the city staff weren't really serving the public uh, very well. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, she's a left-leaning mayor with lots of ties uh, historically to, you know, public sector workers and public sector unions. So to kind of hear her say that there's this kind of you know, the city staff needed to do a bit better, what was pretty notable. But she did also speak out against the encampment clearance. She she said that when you're removing people from a public park, it doesn't deal with the, the homelessness problem. They just move from park to park, uh, you know, go to subways or streetcars mm-hmm. or on street corners or into ravines where people can't uh, see, see them. They're out of sight, but they're still there and, and still in dire need. So she's moved uh, on that front to, to uh, free up shelter spaces, which is related to a whole other issue around refugees claimants coming to Toronto um, right. and she's kind of tried to bolster funding on uh, for that sector but uh, she she hasn't as of yet kind of made parks a, a central theme of her uh, young mayoralty she's kind of got a bunch of other stuff to deal with namely a, a massive budget shortfall that the city's facing Oh, it's not the number one issue on anybody's list, except mine today, I guess. Um, (laughs) Leaving aside the issue of encampments, which, as you point out, is part of a a much bigger problem, for stuff like the baseball and the dog park and even the drinking in public, how much of it is actually people making bad choices on policy and how much of it is just like bad communication? Because... There's like a long list, as you mentioned, of things that you can't do in that in that park. And a lot of them are things that would naturally keep the balls from hitting the windows, like, you know, no aluminum bats or no hard balls. And instead, you must play softball, which is, you know, not that unusual. Mm-hmm. But then you drop a no homers in there and all of a sudden you're the object of ridicule instead of just doing some simple things to protect the apartment buildings. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I think uh, I think it is bad communication, but I I think you can kind of understand the motivation or, or see where the motivation comes from. It, it right. seems like someone there is trying to just draw up a list of rules that will, you know, whether or not they're enforced, whether or not there's a, a bylaw officer standing there trying to <laughs> knock down <laughs> balls from hitting the hitting the condo, that they the city can kind of uh, cover their butt, so to yeah. speak, right, and say, you know, we we instituted these we rules, told them not to hit a homer. We, we, yeah, we told them not to, to do this. So so therefore, if you're a condo resident who's been complaining to the local councillor, for instance, or complaining to the city, the, you can, the city can say, look, we, we took these steps. And, and I think that's kind of a similar issue with the complaints about the signs about alcohol drinking in parks and, and just more generally about the issue of drinking in parks. Like it's this kind of thing where obviously we've all kind of as a society agreed that it's probably fine to have a couple of beers or a glass of wine in a park because everybody has been doing it or many people have been doing it for many years. But to have a city councillor stand up and say, yes, I'm going to vote for that, that gives that city councillor a bit of uh, potential risk, right? Because Mm -hmm. that means that if you're living next to one of the beautiful parks in downtown Toronto and one night there's a rowdy group of teenagers or something who are are drinking and and throwing garbage everywhere and and causing a disturbance, then you're going to call your councillor and say, hey, you voted for that. Right. Uh, Even though, you know, that might have happened whether or not during the parks were legal or not. So it's just this kind of political calculus, I think, that sometimes comes into these decisions that gets in the way of making what I think would uh, most people would agree would be common sense regulations. I love a good uh, ridiculing of bureaucracy, Ben. So thank you for this. Yeah, thanks uh, very much for having me on. Ben Spur, working out of the Toronto Stars City Hall Bureau. 
That was The Big Story. You can find other big stories at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And to reach us or send us pictures of whatever insane sign your local municipality has put in a park, you can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us. We're at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us. We are at 416-935-5935. You can leave us a voicemail. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon is also a producer on the show. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. Sound design this week was handled by Ryan Clark. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our business development manager. I am your host and executive producer, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk Monday. <laughs>